Welcome to the Millennial Merlot podcast, where we blend true crime, tales from within the staffing industry, and a breakdown on world events. If you're fed up with the commercial clutter of irrelevant, long-winded ads on your usual podcast and YouTube channels, look no further. I'm your host, a legal aficionado, a wine lover, true crime enthusiast, national recruiter, and admitted workaholic. And I couldn't care less about ad money, sponsors, or boring small talk. So needless to say, you can expect zero ads or commercials. Seriously though, commercials make me feel like I'm listening to cable TV. It's like the 90s all over again. You can also expect an insightful analysis on cases and controversies, captivating crime case deep dives, and engaging stories from a thought-provoking and sometimes confrontational millennial perspective. Also, do not be surprised if I'm enjoying a glass or two of wine while we chat. So, whenever world events unfold, whether it's good, bad, juicy, or toxic, I will be here, wine in hand, ready to share my thoughts. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the show, guys. I hope everyone had an amazing weekend. On today's episode, we'll be talking about Jordan Willis and the tragic deaths of three Kansas City Chiefs fans. Jordan Willis, who goes by the nickname The Chemist among his friends, is a PhD scientist specializing in HIV vaccination research. However, what sets him apart is his unique talent for crafting homemade concoctions based on his friends' moods and needs and often in the form of recreational drugs. Before we get started, how weird of a skill is this? Can you imagine knowing somebody like this where you can go to them and be like, you know what, I'm feeling some type of way. Like I would go to him and say, hey, you know what, work has me really, really stressed out. I'm losing sleep. I have no appetite. And he just whips something up. I mean, wild, so bizarre. I'm far from being experienced in this field. Like the closest I've ever been to being a chemist is mixing purple shampoo into my hair mask so that I can brighten my highlights. But if you're a PhD level scientist, you should probably know that mixing different chemicals and handing them out to friends is a dangerous pastime to say the least um, and could likely result in someone having a negative or even lethal reaction. But what do I know? So apparently Jordan's friends allegedly approach him with specific feelings or ailments, and he would whip up a customized solution. So this odd skill has earned him a reputation as the go-to party guy who makes drugs among his social circle. It's a peculiar combination, right, of his professional expertise and his passion for helping friends feel good. It kind of gives me like Walter White vibes. Now, let's shift to the snowy and freezing night of January 7th of this year. Four friends, Ricky Johnson, David Harrington, Alex Weimer-Lee, and Clayton McGinney gathered at Jordan's house to watch a Kansas City Chiefs game. The Chiefs won, and the friends who had apparently known each other since college were undoubtedly in high spirits. I'm not a big sports fan myself. But I've seen guys when their teams win. I've also seen guys when their teams lose. Like I once saw a friend punch his own car window out because his team lost a game. It's ridiculous. But the idea here is that the men were all super hyped up because their favorite team won and decided to celebrate the moment by snorting some blow. I wanna point out here guys that 
none of these house guests have a history of drug abuse. By all accounts, these men are loving husbands, doting fathers, and reliable co-workers with zero history of recreational drug use. So January 8th rolls around, so the very next day, and it came with continued frigid temperatures, reportedly ranging from 17 to 29 degrees, accompanied by snowfall. The extreme cold was noteworthy, with incidents of fans at the Chiefs football stadium even suffering from hypothermia during the games, as well as multiple cases of frostbite. So David, Clayton, and Ricky are nowhere to be found the next day, and no one can get a hold of them. So people are naturally starting to hit up Jordan to see if he'd seen them because they all knew that they were all gathering at Jordan's house to watch the game and have a boys' night. But their outreach channels are seemingly going ignored because Jordan himself never responded to the people who were just wondering where their loved one was. January 9th then arrived, with still no contact from the three friends or Jordan. The three men's families were calling and texting them nonstop, wondering where they were, and they naturally became increasingly concerned that something terrible might have happened. The fiancé of one of the men went to Jordan's house, where she discovered their cars parked right outside in the driveway. Her knocking turned to banging and lasted about 10 minutes. And receiving no response, she broke a window and she eventually found her way into the backyard, where she discovered a dead body. She immediately called the police, and when they arrived, they discovered two more dead bodies. David, Clayton, and Ricky were pronounced dead at the scene. Jordan, wearing only his boxers and a robe when he entered the door, also holding an empty wine glass, appeared to be super confused. So many theories have circulated about what might have gone down that night, but it seemed unlikely that these grown men would essentially nap outside in this freezing weather. So police undoubtedly had a lot of questions for this groggy man answering the door half naked, seemingly to have no idea what was going on. Jordan mentioned that the last thing he remembered was seeing his friends leave through the front door. This detail seemed unusual to me. I mean, why would you feel the need to mention that you saw them leave through the front door? Like when you, the listener, recount the last time you saw your friends who were at your house, do you immediately think to yourself, oh yeah, I remember watching them leave through the front door? Or are you a normal person and you're like, yeah, my friends were here, we were doing this and they left around this time, right? What raises suspicions is Jordan's claim that he slept continuously from January 7th to the evening hours of January 9th without even getting up to go to the bathroom or even going downstairs to get water. Here's what I find interesting. Jordan was allegedly sleeping from January 7th to the evening hours of January 9th. He tells police he didn't get up once, not to even go to the bathroom, and again, not even to get a drink of water. But why even mention that you didn't go downstairs to get a cup of water, though, out of all the things you could have said? Now, I looked up photos of the interior of this guy's home, and I'm guessing that he said this because at the bottom of the stairs is a huge window looking out into the backyard where the bodies were found. Apparently, one of the men was actually found dead sitting upright in one of the chairs right outside that very window. So by saying that he never even went past this window or went downstairs to get some water, he's trying to establish plausible deniability. I don't know, do you guys believe that this guy just hibernated for two days? 
Also, when I pulled up more photos of Jordan's house, I noticed that the main living room has a huge window peering right onto the driveway. If he were to have gotten up at any point, it's safe to say that he would have noticed his friend's car still in the driveway. All of this to say, how do you go two days without knowing that there are three dead bodies right outside your back door? How do you go two days without realizing that the friends who you allegedly saw leave through the front door left their cars in the driveway? To me, it seems like he would have at least seen their cars in the driveway and then would have immediately started to look around. I don't know, it seems suspicious. So you're in your house for two days. Okay, January 8th and January 9th of this year were a Monday and a Tuesday. Don't you have this like prestigious job that you need to be at? Or are you an HIV developmental scientist with a full-blown lab in your basement? Spoiler alert, I've pulled photos of his basement and there's no Walter White chemical lab anywhere in this house. So at this point, it's safe to say that this two-day absence from work is also confusing. And it's only leaving me with more questions. Like, if I disappeared for two days, my boss would be wondering where I am. And my job is considerably less important than this guy's job, right? Jordan's apparent lack of awareness of three dead bodies right outside his home raises serious questions and doubts about his story, especially since police have been quoted saying that there are huge discrepancies in his timeline. Also, Jordan's failure to respond to text messages and his claim that he didn't hear anyone knocking on his door for two days because he, now he's saying, was wearing headphones and had a loud fan facing his bed raised additional questions about his involvement. So which is it? Were you asleep? Or were your headphones and fan, like, drowning out the sound? The family of Ricky, David, and Clayton suspect that Jordan may have inadvertently created a lethal drug for the men while they were watching the game, and he didn't know how to handle the situation when he found them dead on his property. Which makes sense to me. I mean, that would have been terrifying. But in that scenario, why wouldn't you just call 911? Why wouldn't you just be honest? You never know. Maybe seeing them out there in time could have offered the opportunity to engage in some life-saving efforts, like calling an ambulance or bringing them inside to perform life-saving aid. If he accidentally made something that killed his friends, that's one tragic thing. But to lie about it and then act like you have no idea, you, you had no idea that they were out there, that you had no clue that there were three dead bodies two feet away from your back door is a whole nother thing. Following the autopsies and toxicology reports, it was confirmed that all three men had THC, cocaine, and a deadly amount of fentanyl in their systems. The excessive fentanyl levels prompted questions about Jordan's possible involvement in the drug's creation. Again, the three men who tragically lost their lives that night were not known drug addicts. They were responsible fathers and contributing members of society with no history of drug abuse. Jordan, on the other hand, was a single guy with a big house who bragged about being a drug chemist and had access to dangerous substances, which is why everyone is convinced that there's something nefarious going on. For me though, I really think that this was an accident and that he just didn't handle it well. I really hope I'm right. I wanna take a step back here and just say that I'm fucking horrified that fentanyl is still plaguing this country. Fentanyl robbed my family of my brother Ryan and my sister Noelle, and it was earth shattering. Honestly, my family has never really recovered from it. Noelle, she was only 23 years old when she died, and Ryan was 25. And I'm not even close to being the only one. I mean, I did some research on this too. 
In 2022 alone, almost 75,000 people died of accidental fentanyl overdoses, which is more than double the amount of deaths in 2019. It's so scary how commonplace this is becoming. And at this point, I wouldn't even take a fucking Tylenol from somebody. This shit is mixed in so many things these days. And 75,000 deaths in one year is a lot. But guess how many Americans died last year in 2023? 112,000. These death rates are staggering. So the idea that these men might have accidentally bought cocaine that was perhaps laced with the lethal drug seems pretty logical. Again, I'm just hoping that Jordan didn't make it himself. You guys might be remembering that I mentioned four friends at Jordan's house that night, one of them being Alex. You might be wondering what happened to him. Well, it turns out he left early that night and he was shocked to hear the news of the three deaths. He apparently was even more shocked to hear that immediately after retaining a fierce criminal defense attorney, Jordan and his lawyer made a public statement saying that Alex was the one to see them alive last. This is a weird revelation, because I thought Jordan said that he saw Ricky, David, and Clayton leave through his front door, remember? Is he now implying that Alex was already outside the house and that he did something to the three men? Alex was quick to come out publicly refuting this allegation, and as of now, it seems like the two men, Alex and Jordan, are pointing fingers at each other. Alex has also lawyered up, which is very smart. It's smart of the both of them to lawyer up. I mean, it's my sincerest hope that people understand that Jordan getting an attorney does not necessarily indicate any guilt, and the same goes for Alex. So as a result of suspicions surrounding him, Jordan has become isolated from his community. Reports have even surfaced that he checked himself into a rehab. Some speculate that this move might be a part of a legal strategy or that he could be entering witness protection to report his drug dealer to the authorities. The mystery surrounding this case continues to baffle those involved, but at least we have the toxicology report back. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. My heart goes out to the families and loved ones of Ricky, David, and Clayton, and I'll be sure to keep tabs on this case and to report back with my findings. I'll see you all in the next one. Have a good night. Cheers.